Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. We're glad to have all of you with us, and we're glad you're here today. You are such an important part of our church family. And you know, how did any of you get these verse packets last week? Did you? Are any of you memorizing the verses? Okay, I know that you're going to be working on this as well. And the whole church, all of us are memorizing these verses. Now, the first one this morning, it came up to me and said, I learned the verse was Charlie. Do you think you could say it under pressure in front of all these people? You want to try it? Okay. Wait, wait a second. Turn the microphone on back there. All right, let's try it again. Wait a minute. Microphone. <laughs> okay. Psalms 139, verse 8. If I may, wait, no. Go ahead. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my beds in the depths, you are there. One, Psalms 139, verse 8. Okay. Yay. All right. So, all right. So we're all going to say it together. I know some of the rest of you know it too. So if you, if you learned it this week, let's say it together. So Charlie, you got to lead everybody now. Okay, ready? All right, yes, sir. Together. Yeah, you can do it. Psalm 139a. If I make my... I tricked you. All right, let's try it again. If I... Go up to the heavens, Good for you. Thank you so much. And we're going to dismiss you and pray God's blessing on you as you go and continue to study and sing. And you can be seated. All right. Thank you, guys. So the other the other part of the story is I was in the coffee room. And I, I know Charlie's my grandson, so you think I'm pulling rank. But it just so happened he was the first one that did come up to me and say the verse. And then uh, afterward, uh, his cousin Owen said it. And then as I was walking away, I could hear them arguing over who said it best. <laughs> I said, no, I said it better than you. No, you didn't. I said it better than you. <laughs> so, huh? They don't get money from me. Uh, maybe. <laughs> so anyway, it's not a contest. It's not a contest. But we are learning the foundational 50 verses. And the first says on God's attributes. And I know that uh, last week, some of you didn't get the card packets, and that was really good, because that means they were all taken. We printed a hundred of them, and so we printed a hundred more, and the children are getting them as well, so parents, your children will be getting these, uh, Susie said. So we do have these in the back table. They're back there on the table back there next to where Josh's uh, material on the church plant uh, we presented last week, and then they're back here in the visitor center as well. So if you didn't get any, uh, pick some up this week, take them home. And you might notice a couple of things. You'll notice in the back is the reference verse, and on front is the verse. So it's sort of like a memory flashcard. You can train, you can teach yourself that. And then you notice the little logo from the Grace Gospel Fellowship. Uh, this is something that the Grace Gospel Fellowship has been promoting for the last several years, and uh, we are joining this year in doing that. Okay? Let's pray. Father, as we spend a few moments in your word, we pray that our hearts will be open to you, to your word. May we learn your word, but may it draw us close to you as we consider your attributes, who you are, what kind of a God you are, uh, your ways as we looked last week 
in this psalm we just quoted from. Uh, your ways are so great, they are far too wonderful for us to fully comprehend. And yet you have opened the door in your word for us to begin to comprehend, look at them, and consider them. May we draw close to you. Bless these dear children, Lord. We thank you for them. I thank you so much for the parents, the grandparents, the guardians that bring them each Sunday, uh, make this an important part of their lives. I thank you for that, Lord. And we ask your blessing on them now as they continue to gather in music and word today. In Christ's name, amen. Psalm uh, excuse me, Psalm 33 today, we read scripture from. Why do we come to worship? You know, we have a great tradition in the uh, church, the body of Christ, that's been going on for two millennium now. And it really goes back to the Jewish uh, culture and uh, Jewish uh, people of God in the Old Testament. And that is, as we have just participated in, when we gather, we spend a significant amount of time in music. Now, the music is not the worship. Sometimes that's misunderstood. People say, well, I like the worship today, as if that was the only part of worship. The music, the scriptures, reading God's word, looking at God's word, sharing prayer and, prayer, prayer and praise requests, this is all part of our worship to God. And you know, in the, uh, in the Old Testament uh, family of God, in the covenant people of Israel, they gathered and they began to gather in their synagogues and they began and they worshiped and they included music and scripture reading as even today and prayers. And so in the, 130, in the 33rd Psalm, Psalm 33, why do we do this? And we read this this morning. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on a ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. And I notice in my, it's a psalm of joy. You'll see the heading in your, under Psalm 33, a psalm of joy. Why do we do this? Why do we come? Why do we worship God? Why do we praise him? Why do we sing? Why do we incorporate music like this? And you notice this is this is the first time in the Psalms that the instruments are listed, and that and because of the, the the you know the millennium that have gone by since this was written, understanding exactly what these instruments are, there are different opinions. But basically, in the Near Eastern culture, there was a smaller stringed instrument and a larger stringed instrument. Uh, you might think of a a mandolin or a ukulele or a very small guitar, and you might think of a harp. Uh, probably the harp wasn't as big as what we might think of, but more of a handheld harp. There was a larger and a smaller, smaller and a larger stringed instrument. David was accomplished on those instruments. And it says here to, to, to sing joyfully, and it's good for us. It's good for us as a people who walk with the Lord to praise him with these instruments. It's good for us to, to sing this. We, you know, we use stringed instruments still today. The keyboard is a stringed instrument, right? The keyboard is a stringed instrument. We, we sing with instruments. We lift our voices. We, we, we consider the words together. We worship with music in our services today, as has been going on since the time of the Psalms. As the Israelites came to Jerusalem for holidays, they would sing together. They would sing these psalms. The psalms was their hymnal. And they would sing together. Why? Why do we worship God? You notice it says to play skillfully. They took it serious. And in fact, 
when the when God gave the law, he included choirs and choir directors on the Levites, and they and they led the people way back in, in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, you see the law given. It included music. And we really see this in the book of uh, Nehemiah when they came to rededicate the temple and that scene of the as they were uh, rededicate the walls and they built the walls and two choirs started in kind of an antiphonal singing and marched around the walls and sang back and forth. This was part of God's Mosaic law music. Why? Why do we worship? Why do we sing? Why do we praise the Lord? Why do we come? Why do you come? Why are you here today? Why are you here today? Why do you come and share in this service? I think the rest of this psalm gives us the reason from the psalmist viewpoint inspired by God as to why we do this. We do this, I want you to notice verses 4 and 5. And this is our memory verse for this week, verse 5. Why? For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. This is our verse for this coming week. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. Say it with me. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. The Lord loves, and the implication here is not just, not only that the Lord loves people who do this, but the Lord loves to do this. Our God is a righteous God. Look what it says in in the preceding verse. The word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful. Are you always faithful to every promise you make? I doubt anybody here can say I have been faithful to every promise I've ever made. We are, we are not. We, 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 don't, we don't always do that. But the Bible says that God is always faithful. God is always true. And we're talking about the attributes of God. What kind of a God do we worship? We do not worship a fickle God. We do not worship a God who gets mad at other gods and does all these different things in mythology. We worship a God who is always good. He is always true. Everything we talk about, last week we talked about the fact that God is omniscient. He knows everything. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. That's the verse we learned last week. If I go up to to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, the Hebrew word sheol, the idea of the depths, the, the, the grave, the place where you, the lowest place you can go, God, you are there. You are everywhere. And friends, that is good, right? That is good. Wouldn't it be a sad thing if there's a place? One person in the Bible did try there. Remember who it was? Jonah. He got on a ship and he went west out to sea thinking he would get away from God. And, and and when the whole story ended, he got mad at God because God is so loving and kind. He saved all these people of Nineveh. And Jonah says, that's why I ran away. I knew you were going to do that. I know you. I know you're a God of grace. That's why he got mad. That's why he tried to flee from God. But God brought him back and God sent him. And God was very careful and loving and kind with Jonah, even in his rebellion. The Lord, now I want you to, in verse 5, as you learn this verse, I do want to point out to you, the Lord loves righteousness. 
And the Lord loves justice. I hope you love justice. I hope you love what is right. Those are the kind of people we are supposed to be. Righteousness and justice. And then he says this, the earth. We, we might say the whole world. But it, the focus here is, is, is Eretz. It's the Hebrew word for the physical earth. The Lord. The Lord. The earth is full of his unfailing love. Now, you notice I titled my sermon today, Chesed. Uh, in the Hebrew, it's sort of that hard CH sound, Chesed. Um, but I don't want to hurt your voice or my voice. We'll just say Chesed, okay? Um, and the word Chesed, you may have heard of the term Hasidic. Ever heard the word term Hasidic Jews? Think of a Hasidic Jew today. You think of one who is very, very careful about the Mosaic law, even in the way they dress, the way they eat, the things they do. The Pharisees in the Old Testament considered themselves Hasidic because the word Hasid, really the, the heart of it is faithfulness, goodness. God's law, you, you keep God's law. You are good about that. It is interesting. There is another Hebrew word for love. For example, when it says that, that Isaac loved Rebekah. You know, there's another word for love there. Our translators have chosen to translate this unfailing love because they're translating a thought. But, but the original language, the, the, the thought really is that our God, our God is to our earth. He fills our earth. He fills his earth with his goodness and his faithfulness. Hesed, ascetic. He is faithful to his world, to his earth. It's, the earth is always in the feminine. So we could say that the earth, she is full of God's faithfulness and goodness. And so we get the thought, his unfailing, it never fails, his unfailing goodness and love. As you memorize this verse this week, if you have trouble coming back to it, uh, think of the picture, the earth. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. How is this shown? Look at the next verse. The next thing we're going to talk about is we're just going to walk through this psalm. I want you to get the context of this verse you're learning this week. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water of the sea. Now the NIV says into jars. But the Hebrew is the idea of into heaps. If you remember creation, when, when, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless and void. Darkness was upon the deep and, and the waters covered the earth. And as God created, he drew the waters back and, and, and the earth exposed. He drew the waters back. He, he draw them into a heap. And this is speaking of this act of creation. God created this world. This is God's world. When we sing that song, this is my father's world, right? It's true. It's not just us. It's not just Christians who are God. This is God's world. This is God's world. He spoke. It came to be. He commanded. It stood firm. I'm in verse 9. In verse 8, he, let, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him because he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. God created this world. It is his world. The reason why the earth is full of his unfailing goodness and faithfulness, his unfailing love, is because it's his. He created it. He spoke it. 
into existence. I'll tell you, it's amazing. One of the things in our world today, the more we, the more we explore, the more we learn about science, the more that we learn about the intricacies of each of us, how fearfully and wonderful we are made, how are the, the, the ecosystem, the world, the, the, the starry hosts, and, and everything that we know that we're learning about creation and we see that God just, God created this. And I personally believe it's not just a matter of, you know, God just spoke it. God is the creator. He planned it. He created it. He made it. He purposely did it. And everything that, that, that I mean, this is mind-boggling when we think of the intricacies of just you, just me, how our minds can work. That God did this. He planned it and created it. It's his world. So the first thing, God is always good and faithful to the whole world, to his earth. It's because he created it. It's his. He's vested in it. He created it. He is the artist. He is the creator of our world. Verse 10 and verse 11. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Why is this here? Why does he, the psalmist all of a sudden switch from creation to the idea that God, God can even thwart the plans and purposes of nations? And I want to suggest to you, friends, that the Bible clearly teaches our God is the God of history. Our God is the God of history. The history of the world is in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. It's not just the physical. It's what happens. The Bible says God, the history is part of God. God is controlling. God is behind. I know this is a difficult this is a difficult subject. This is difficult when we think of what's happened in history. We think of what's happened in the last century, in the hundred years of the last century, and how brutal, how brutal humanity was to one another. And still going on. I think of two world wars and all that took place and the millions and millions and millions of people that were slaughtered. Slaughtered. But God is in charge of history. And ultimately, things are going to work out according to what he desires. And there is a future. And God has a future plan. God, this is God's world. He is in charge of it. And as much as we can't wrap our mind completely around it, it should bring us some understanding and some, and some hope that God is in charge. The plans of the Lord stand firm forever. Verse 11, the purposes of his heart through all generations. Again, this idea, God is faithful always. Friends, God has a plan. God is in charge. God is in control. I think of these, these children that were down here and the ones over in the preschool department. Think of how the world has changed in our lifetime. What is the world, what, what is the world going to be like 40, 50 years from now? We're having a meeting today about our about our church and about our ministry. We've been here for 54 years. 54 years from now, if the Lord has not returned, what is our world going to look like? What what kind of world are they going to live in as adults? And what kind of world will their children live in? I mean, you know, God is in charge. We don't have to be afraid. God knows what He's doing, right? Amen. God knows what He's doing.
that God is in charge. The next thing he says, the reason the world is full of God's goodness and kindness. He created it. He is the God of history. And that is true as much today as it was when David wrote this. It is true, friends. Secondly, he is, thirdly, he is the God of all people. And I mention that again. He's not just the God of Christians. He is the God. Look what it says here. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Now, and you know, there's a general truth in that. That any nation who, who, who puts God first and makes God Lord, it's, they're going to be blessed. Because if you do things the way God prescribes, it always comes out best. But, it, but in particular, I don't think we can get away from the fact that this is a, a special notice of Israel as God's people. David is writing this, we, we think. Okay, it doesn't say a psalm of David. It may or may not be, but it's someone in that royal um, context, most likely, if it's not him. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. In Hebrew, Hebrew poetry, the, one of the main features is something is said and said again. Blessed are these people whose God is the Lord, these people whom God has chosen. Israel was God's chosen people. And you notice the word chosen. It wasn't be, and, and, and Moses, Moses told his fellow Israelites, listen, it wasn't because you were more numerous. And the idea is not because you were better than anybody else. It's because God chose to set his love upon you because God had a plan of salvation. And from that people would come a Savior. And that Savior would be a blessing to the entire world. And so it is true. Blessed are these people who the God, whose God is the Lord because he has chosen them. But look at verse 13. From the heaven, from heaven, the Lord looks down and he sees all mankind. He sees all inhabitants. He sees all men and women. All, think of this. All over the world, every human life, every human life today, the Bible says God knows them. God sees them. God looks down from heaven, as it were. He sees all the inhabitants of the earth. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He is the God of the entire world. It's his world. He created it. There is nobody, no matter what the religion, no matter if they're an atheist, it doesn't matter. God knows. God watches. They are in his world. And in fact, notice the next thing it says. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers, who considers everything they do. God has formed the hearts of all people. And this, this might be in, in the general sense that he created us with our, our hearts, our soul. Um, depending on how you want to you know, interpret this, you know, the mind, the soul. The, 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 let's just say this, your, your, your innermost being. God has created that. And, and every person, that's what the Bible says, when he created man and woman, he created them what? In his own image. What does that mean? What does that mean, that you are in the image of God? What does that mean? We are in the image of God. We teach our young people in our Bible instruction class some things about what this means. We have persona. Our God is a, is a personhood. Our God is not just a, the great something that's nothing. He has personhood. He has persona. He has emotions. We see this in the Bible, that, that, that God loves God hates sin. God rejoices 
We can grieve the Holy Spirit. Our God has persona. Our God is a, a holy God, and there's, a, there's right and wrong. He's a just God, and God has put in us a moral conscience. Romans tells us that. Paul tells us in Romans, nobody's, nobody has an excuse. Nobody could ever stand before God. No one is ever going to stand before God and say, oh, I didn't know there was a God. Romans says, yes, even creation itself, the world, creation itself, screams out, there is a God. And the more we learn about creation, the more it should convince us there's a God. Amen? We have a moral conscience. And we have a social likeness. Right? Our God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All three distinct personas, yet they all share the same substance or essence. One is, the other one is. But they're three personas. When it says God is love, for all eternity, the Father loved the Son, the Son loved the Father, the Spirit loved the Son, the Spirit loved the Father. Do the math, all the different ways they can happen. This relationship, our God is a social God. Our God has, has, is right and wrong. He's put that in our heart. And our God is a persona. We are made in the image of God. Every person, the person that causes you the most grief in your life this week, is in the image of God. They are in the image of of God. And God watches them. And God knows them. He knows them by name. He knows their heart. He knows everything they're doing, just like He knows everything about me. He knows all my motives. He knows everything. This is His world, and it is in His care. And it is full of His unfailing goodness and kindness because He cares. The Bible says it is God's desire that all would come to faith. All would come to faith, and that nobody would. That's his heart's desire, and that should be our heart's desire as well. Verse 16 He is the source of our hope and salvation. God's goodness and faithfulness fills this world because it's his world. He created it because he is the God of history, of what's happening in the world, and he is the God of all the world, all nations. He is over all people. And he is, he is the source of our hope and our salvation. No king is saved, verse 16, by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all of its great strength, it cannot save. But the eye of the Lord, the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. Friends, God is the source, our only source of hope and salvation. This is written, people of God. They had an army. David fought wars. In fact, when it came time to build that temple, David wanted so bad to build that temple in Jerusalem. He wanted so bad. He sat there in his royal palace. He looked over at the tabernacle. In his heart, here I am in this beautiful paneled, wood paneled cedar palace and God's ark is over there in a tent I want to build him a temple and David made up the blueprints he actually he, he came up the blueprints for that temple according to the books of, of Moses and God says David I never asked you to do that I never asked you to do that you can't do that your son will do it but you got too much blood on your hands you've been a man of war he had to be God called him to that he said you have too much blood on your hands you your son Solomon Salam, shalom, peace. He will build that temple. David 
the authors of the Psalms, they knew about war. They knew about, they knew about protection. They knew about all this. But and ultimately, when all was said and done, it's God who saves. It's God who saves. What are you trusting in today? What are you trusting? Are you trusting in your goodness? Are you trusting in your strength that you can handle anything that comes your way? Or are you trusting in God? The Bible tells us the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross. He paid for our sins and opened the way for salvation and forgiveness. And we can embrace it. We can receive it as a free gift. And we can trust in God. That is our only hope. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. On those whose hope is in his unfailing love. Look how he finishes this. Why do, we, why do we have this hope, my friends? Why do we have this hope? Verse 21. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put your hope, our hope, in you. And the idea of this, there's that word again, chesed, your unfailing love. Lord, might your goodness, we pray your faithfulness and your goodness would rest upon us because we put our hope in you. Our verse this week, our verse for this week, the Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full, full of his unfailing love, his chesed, his goodness, his goodness, his faithfulness. He created our world. He is the God of history. He is the God of all nations in, the, in that sense that, that, that God desires no one to be lost. He wants, he wants us to reach everyone for Christ. We, we, are, we get afraid of people. God wants us to reach them for Jesus Christ. Eternity is what matters. He is the source of our hope and our salvation. And we only have hope because of his goodness. Let me close with this. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. Sorry, a little bit of that verse is kind of covered up there. Be imitators of God, Ephesians 5.1 says. Be imitators of God, therefore... As dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us. We are talking about the attributes of God. We looked last week that God knows everything, God is all powerful. And God is everywhere at once, He can be everywhere at once and anywhere at once. And we see today that God is always. Faithful. He is always good. He is a good God. Amen. He is a good God. And look at Paul says, we are to be imitators of God because we're his children. We are to be people who are faithful. Who are always good. I know it's hard, but we are called to be good people. We are called to be loving we are called to be like our God and to imitate. And we do that by living a life of love just as Christ loved us. Paul goes on to say, forgive one another even as Christ, as God through Christ has forgiven 
you. How much has Christ forgiven you? Everything. Everything. Live a life of love. And I want to tell you again, and this goes for me and for all of us, when we talk about living a life of love and imitating God, it begins with those closest to you. Your family, your community, your neighborhood, your place of work, your school, whatever context God has put you in, you know, it's easy, it's easy for me to be loving for the entire world. But not always so easy with the world that's right next to me. Right? And if we can't do it for the right next to me world, there's no point in thinking we're going to love the, the world. God has called us to be imitators of Him. We should be Hasidic. We should be Hasidic. We should be faithful and good and demonstrate that what Christ has done for us. This is your verse for this week. Our verse for this week. The imitator, you might already know it already, right? The, the kids have an advantage. It's easier for them, right? To learn verses. You could do this. The imitators of God. Oops, sorry. That's the wrong verse. You can lose that one too. Go back to the other verse. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth, she is full of His unfailing love. His goodness. Amen? Come up and lead us our closing song. This morning, this week, you will see a lot of people. You will see them in your neighborhood. You'll see them on the highway. You'll see them wherever you are. You will see them on television. You will see faces of people all over the world. People blown up in attacks like in Afghanistan the other day. And you will see these horrible pictures. You will see beautiful pictures. Every single one is made in the image of God. Every person you see this week is made in the image of God. They deserve to hear the good news that Jesus Christ died for them. And God loves them just as God loves you. And I want you to think about that as you memorize that verse this, this week. This, this earth, she is full. She is full of God's chesed. And you're going to be in that earth this week. And we invite you to do some time together, okay? All right, let's have a word of prayer. And please uh, go ahead when we're dismissed today. Uh, you don't have to run, but we would like you to get down there, okay? <laughs> so uh, you, you use your best judgment. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you. This is your world. This is our Father's world. Everything, you've created it. And even though it's fallen into sin, it is still your world. And Lord, uh, we love the we love the book of Revelation. It's hard sometimes, but we love the message. God wins and Satan loses. Mm-hmm. That's going to be great. In the meantime, Lord, uh, might we be imitators of you? Might we live a life of love? Might we be Hasidic, faithful, and good like you are, and represent you this week? And Father, if there be a person here today who knows that they have never received your forgiveness for sins and Christ's sacrifice on the cross, may you open their heart right now to the good news that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son 
His only begotten Son, that whoever believes on Him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Bless our meal together. We pray now, Lord, to ask your blessing on the food we are about to share together. It will nourish us as we continue to walk with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.